welcome to the 2020 edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike, another year. Are you ready? Hey, Zach. Happy New Year. 2020. 20, how, many, how many years have we been doing this? I think 10. It, no way. It can't be that long. 2011. It was the 2011. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, well, ten, it's like the way I calculate so decades. So we're, we're officially the longest running podcast about Southwest climate. <laughs> Well, I'm, for one, Mike, pretty excited about 2020. I've got some uh, bold and not-so-bold ideas going forward. Yes, uh, I like I like your uh, bold, not-so-bold predictions. Could be a, a segment yeah. on the podcast here. We've tried segments before. We'll do that. We'll All do right. that. But first, I thought, uh, which we didn't get to uh, when we came before the end of the year, but I thought it, it is worth sort of zooming back out to 2019 and just putting 2019 in the long-term climatology context and just do a quick Rankings. How Put do you it feel in the record that? books. Yep, make it happen. Okay, so 2019 goes in the books for Arizona as the 20th warmest year on record out of 125. Uh, sorry, I was looking at New Mexico. New Mexico is the 20th. Okay. Arizona comes in at 100 out of 125. So that's 26th warmest out of 125. So top fifth. January through December, statewide. Average temp. Is That's that right? correct. Okay. That's correct. So obviously much above average, uh, not record setting. Much of the U.S. actually was, actually all of the U.S. except for one state was either near average or above average. And that, yeah, that was Montana. Montana hmm. came out below average. Hmm. Uh, and the U.S. as uh, an entire, uh, the continental U.S. was 104 out of 125. That's not unexpected at all. No, part of the trend. Part of the trend. So that's part of the climate change signal that everybody talks about. And it shows up regionally in in states and pretty much globally. Cross board. Precipitation was for New Mexico, pretty average, middle of distribution, 57 out of 125. So more on the dry side than on the wet side, but uh, pretty much around average, thinking about the air. And- Arizona, on the other hand, for the, uh, uh, again, January to December yearly total, 106 out of 125. So about 20th wettest on record. 20th wettest on record. What a weird year. Why do you say? Because it had, remember, the driest June, July, August on record, sandwiched in the middle of probably one of the wettest springs on record maybe last year. I don't know. I made that up. And And a very wet November. Yeah. So the annual total is a mishmash. It's a sandwich. That's right. It belies or obscures actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. That month, that really dry monsoon period. It's a drought uh, sandwich. <laughs> a, dr- a drought sandwich. Yes. You know, actually, when you look at precipitation continentally in the U.S., you had a number of regions, particularly in the northern part of the the U.S., at record-setting wetness. Record wet in the Upper Midwest. Okay. So my parents live a couple hundred yards off of Lake Huron in Michigan, and Lake Huron's coming for them. <laughs> Seriously, it's eating it's eating the shoreline because it's at the record highest levels in the historic record. And the only regional area in the U.S. that was below average rainfall for the year was the Pacific Northwest. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 29, 29th driest. Really? Yeah, okay. out of 125. Huh. So smashing those all together, uh, the U.S. as a whole came in at the second wettest on yeah, the record. Yeah, right. Right. With, and it's mostly driven by the upper Midwest. Yep. Carrying right. the, carrying the lead. But, but then again, yeah. but, but, but the South had, uh, including the Southwest, they're all much above, uh, average for, for wetness. So again, only the Pacific Northwest and the Florida, the Southeast is, is sort of around average. Yeah. I think at one point in 2019, the, the U.S. drought monitor kind of bottomed out. I think it had some, continental-wide low metrics because of those wet conditions. So those are the rankings, I should say, for those Tucsonians. Uh, mean temperature, average temperature, was the 18th warmest on, on record. Uh, for Flagstaff, it was around the 31st warmest on record. Albuquerque, 31st. The one that I have close to uh, Las Cruces, Deming, uh, came in at, at, at ninth warmest. Going around to, to a few other stations and looking at rainfall, Tucson for rainfall was also uh, 18th wettest. Hmm. So both temperature and precipitation, 18th in, in their record. Phoenix, 24th driest. Is that right? Phoenix didn't, I don't think, 
registered as much of the precept last spring and even this last last fall. And and there, the monsoon was epically poor. Yeah, and then Flagstaff came in at the 13th wettest. But again, that belies that really dry monsoon period. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, I believe, was either the second or the driest monsoon on record for, for Flagstaff. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Phoenix ended up, we have to go all the way back to October of 2018, had over five inches of rain with the tropical storms. And then um, from November 1st through May 1st, they actually did get several inches of rain. So that is interesting. So maybe that's not quite right on yeah. what I was thinking. But I do know that they had ended up having very, very dry yeah, that's... monsoon. All right, Mike. So going into 2019, you would have predicted that temperatures would have been above average, which they were. You probably would not have predicted. I know. I bet I know what your prediction would have been for precipitation, which would have been right around average. And it, tur- it turns out that we had a much, uh, much wetter in aggregate year. So my question to you is 2020, give me a bold prediction and a not so bold prediction. Okay, so my bold prediction is a climatological start to the monsoon season, July fourth. Wait, 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 wait! Is that a that's, yeah, that's to bold? Me, how is that bold? It's I'm making a forecast seven months in advance. Don't you uh. find that bold? <laughs> I guess the fact that you're making a prediction or forecast or a guess. What do you mean? Seven right. months in advance. So there's a couple things I is know. bold. It's climatology. But the prediction itself is not so bold. Oh, I I think it's bold of me. Well, so I know nobody will remember. Okay. If I make this a monsoon forecast in January, so I think that that nobody's going to hold you to it. Nobody's going to hold you to it. Nobody will remember that. Okay. Yeah. So so let me just get this straight. Yeah. The boldness is the fact that I'm putting you on the record for saying it right now. Yeah. That's bold, isn't it? Don't okay. you find that bold? You don't find this bold. Um, I find it uh, just courteous to answer my question. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Okay, so climatological start to the monsoon. Is yeah, it, it's it, not going to be late this year. What are the chances of having two broken monsoons in a row? Yeah, it's not great. I mean, it can happen. <laughs> it's certainly an historical record. We could, yeah, we could uh, we could find that data. We could, <laughs> we could find that data. We could have actually we could have done this analysis before I brought it up. What about a not so bold? Not so bold prediction. May will not be cooler than average this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty – yeah, you can pretty much – You're really sitting on that one. Can, well, we had yeah, that one I last mean, I think last the probability May. of it being above average is probably 99%. Uh, well, with trend, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm I, just – I'm going – my recency bias is that – Last May was so pleasant. I like that. I like and that. that it, I mean, I, I think we can bank on – I think we can bank on a warm spring. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's there's warm spring and then there's above average spring, right? So those are those are two different things. That's true. So you, yeah. you're right. You're, it will be warm. Your comfort undoubtedly. level. Yeah. The days will be much longer in the spring than they are right now. That is not a bold prediction, but I will also say that a repeat of last May, where I was wearing a sweatshirt through much of the month here in Tucson, not going to happen again. So. I got to hand it to you because when I was thinking about this question and I was trying to, and I was posing it to myself, and I have answers in a minute for both of those, but I tended toward the extreme scenarios, yep. the extreme predictions. And I think that there is a tendency, they're exciting, they're the things that we can talk about, they're all over the media. Like, why did you not do an extreme? I'm version? a frequentist. We already talked about, yeah, you're a frequentist, I'm a frequentist. We, we study climatology. <laughs> Right. We're going to drift. We're going to tend towards the middle of the distribution and use trend as a prior. <laughs> so, so yeah. I'm, I'm, so I, in, in a way, I think both of your, your predictions are, cause I posed the question to you without much, much guidelines. And I was anticipating actually you coming with two, some crazy thing. things. And I think the boldness is the fact that you're actually going toward the center of the distribution. <laughs> Yeah, it's bold. we are sad. Yeah, well, no, sad, I, so I have people. one though. But okay, I, but I have one. So okay, so my bold prediction is that I actually think that we could be set up for a rather uh, intense fire season. I, okay, it's bold because I am. It's kind of a morbid prediction on the one because that would be. I hope it doesn't come true I'm for not, sure. I'm not. I'm not banking on this because obviously fire is a uh, is a bad thing if it. If it happens in places where people are, yeah, it's not such a bad thing if it happens in natural lands. 
So be more specific. What kind of fire? I, you know, I think we think in the Southwest here, is it, is it going to be high elevation forest fire? Or are mm. we talking low elevation grassland fire? Or are we talking about a bunch of invasive species I was burning across thinking, the desert? I was thinking highland. Really? Yeah. That's bold. It is bold. But here's, here's my rationale. Last year was fairly wet yes. across much of the Southwest, across the high elevations. Okay. Okay. Yep. That one year prior sort of sets the stage for a lot of understory growth. Okay. Okay. Like it. Now, the caveat to this is I don't know what the snowpack is going to do going, going forward, but I think perhaps uh, at least in the Arizona southern part of the, the southwest, maybe you know if, if, if we uphold trend, then whatever snowpack is there will melt out early. And I do think that given the trends in uh, springtime temperatures, that we'll see elevated temperatures. And it just sets the stage, I think, for ripe environmental conditions for fire. Now, couple that with the fact that we really haven't had a very destructive, uh, people could quibble about, about this, but very destructive fire season in the Southwest for, you know, six, seven years. I think maybe 2011 was, well, that was an epic year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've had above average acres burned, but not, I don't know, you're, you're more of an expert on this than I am, but I wouldn't classify the last few years as a relatively extreme sort of f- fire season. I don't think we had any particularly um, charismatic fires. <laughs> it's not a, maybe not quite the right way to think about it. The, we, well, the fires that gain <clears throat> national attention, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, the fire on the Pinaleños was in, I'm looking at Ben, 2018, 17? It was a late summer. Late, It was uh, burned into June. Mm. Lightning, I think it started by lightning, burned into June. Had a high intensity fire. Kind of, that one kind of stands out to me, but I, ca- I can't think of too many other particularly big ones. So okay, all right. This is I give you um, I give you a B plus an A for this, or, for or this an scenario. For, that's not bad. It's pretty well thought out. It's, it's nice a nice uh, thesis that you put put together. The the last part though, what does a fire not occurring for several years have anything to do with? Preconditioning landscape. Is it like No, it doesn't. It okay. doesn't. It's just sort of like you just it's like a weird statistical it, trick in my mind that I'm like it's it's like this. If you flip a coin ten times and nine times in a row you get tails, you think that it's gonna be heads the next time just because it can't be ten in a row, but yeah. the probability is still the same. For sure. So it's kinda like that. <laughs> Does that not make sense? No. <laughs> I'm <just> trying to <laughs> Well, it's a statistical trick. Right. I, I just feel like because we haven't had a you're, really You're worried about streakiness. Yeah, yeah. streakiness. Yeah, you you yeah. just think that we can't have yeah, a politics streak. they we... call it momentum, you know? God. It's these, these... <laughs> so <laughs> pyro momentum. Pyro I don't momentum. even I have no Okay. I everything so made I sense to me except for the last part of it. It doesn't make logical sense, statistical sense or anything like that. But it is It's your gut think, feeling, man. Yeah. I actually think it's a fairly common way to make decisions, is, even if it is a flawed statistical what decision. streakiness yeah sure yeah no i think i think you're right so your gut feeling is we can't go this many years without having a fire right i was just this, because <laughs> yeah i would say the same thing about the monsoon if we had five mo- great monsoons in a, in, in a row i'd be like well what's the chances that you're going to get six in a row it's true and they're they're all independent <laughs> yeah. of each other they're all in, right well so, yeah 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 i think that's right yeah that's my bold prediction right there what yeah that the monsoon's going to start on time because Statistically, that's what it does. <laughs> well, also, it's probably never started on time. No, I'm sure it isn't. Just but the distribution, the distribution gives me, from a frequentist approach, some center of ten, some central tendency in there. Okay, but wait, I want to talk. This is good. I like I like this bold prediction. I want to counter. I think that. I yeah. All everything you said. It's got to stop raining soon. Yeah, and snowing. And snowing soon. Well, so the upper basin, uh, for the most part, snowpack conditions are all above average. Yeah. So it's it's seen a fairly decent uh, first, what, we're, we're not quite halfway or we're getting close to halfway through. And the southern part of the basin, it's about March 1st, is the peak snowpack for Arizona, New Mexico. Right, but not peak, pre- not, not central or median precipitation. No. That's uh, that's what I was referring to. So, mm, okay. in terms of the 
precipitation distribution, we're, um, we're probably halfway through the winter for the yeah. upper basin. Okay. Or it just has to warm up super rapid. Yeah, I, it's not, it certainly wouldn't be unprecedented to have the winter that we've had, which has not been particularly great. It's been okay. It's been good. I mean, it's, we have such a low bar right. here in Arizona. And last winter was, by I think all accounts, really good and extended late in the spring. This year, the wet November conditions have been, we haven't seen wet November conditions like that since 2013. So it's, we haven't, we haven't seen it in a while. December wasn't all that particularly wet. And in January hasn't been all that particularly wet for everywhere in the state. It's not been terrible. We're kind of midland to just below average, I think across the region. So, so I, I think you, I think having some vigilance for a fire season that, yeah, if, if we shut down in February and it warmed up in March, We've been there before, and we have done those fire seasons. And I think your your idea with fuel connectivity and the fine fuels and the, a lot of the fine fuels that we've grown in the last couple of years is something to definitely definitely watch for. So I said high elevations too because if you look at the drought signal, and there isn't much of a drought signal, uh, short-term drought signal here in, in, in much of Arizona in the right. Southwest, but there is in, in sort of the higher elevation four corners regions, not a ton of trees up there, but no, I mean, you're, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I would say across the high country of Arizona. And again, I think a different story for New Mexico. I think we've had, we had really, we've had some real big differences between Arizona and New Mexico over the last year that I don't think we've got the granularity quite dialed in, um, between we- the two of them. What do you mean in terms of? Well, I th- the monsoon wasn't quite as terrible in New Mexico mm-hmm. as it was across the northern part of Arizona, especially the northwest part of Arizona. And I, I can't quite remember how the the wintertime played out uh, in New Mexico last year. So, so having a lot of those couple of those moving parts, I think, are are a bit in, are kind of important. Right. I mean, if you look at the standard precipitation index for the last year, all of Arizona except for that four corner region has experienced above median precipitation. Okay, so what what time scale is this that? This would be reading? 12 months. Okay. So but for New Mexico so for the to year, your point. Yeah. New Mexico is hovering right around sort of <clears throat> but, yeah, median, average yeah, right. Yeah. Mid, mid midpoint and there's more places there that have experienced less rainfall. So I I was just Yeah, it's a mixed bag I think across much of the southwest. I think it's it's been better in sort of the lower elevation areas in the western side of Arizona, which is a little bit easier because the bar, bar is so low right. to, to nail those. I started the question. I should finish it. Yeah, really. My sort of non-bold or not-so-bold prediction was not unlike your frequentist. And again, I was playing. I was trying to riff off this fact that everybody sort of wants to move toward more extreme scenarios, and I, I sort of wanted to fall in, in the middle and, 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 and think that, you know, we're going to have an average monsoon. Pretty boring. That's that's your best guess yeah, with no guess. other information, quite honestly, at this point, and we're so far out. So let's see how those things play out. And uh, we're, you know, close to a good portion of the way through the, the winter so far. So why don't we do a roundup of current conditions over the last 30 days and, 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 then, and then look forward. Okay. Well, let's step back actually two months because we, what was interesting in my mind was there's been a flip-flop in the pattern of, of rainfall in, in the West. Okay, so the last month, for the most part, um, was different than December was in terms of the Western precipitation pattern. This last 30 days, all of January, pretty much dry from close to Northern California, across Colorado and Nevada, downwards has been dry. Whereas the Pacific Northwest has seen a series of low pressure systems and, and much above average precipitation. It's wet this time of year, but it's still seeing a lot, of, a lot of activity up there. That's the direct opposite of what happened during December, where um, the Pacific Northwest was dry. That contributed to that area being uh, the only region in the U.S. that was below average for the year, while the Southwest area was uh, above average. In terms of rainfall, Mike, uh, what can we say about the patterns that we're driving? That is, is this is this weather happening, or is there some some atmospheric and oceanic patterns that are sort of pulling the strings? There isn't. Let's let's take some stuff off the table here. There's no El Nino in effect. 
there was some weak indication that there was some El Nino-ish atmospheric circulations that have been kind of lingering and hanging on, but they don't seem to have been strong enough to really drive anything large-scale circulation. We've had the Madden-Julian Oscillation, which did make a decent push around the world in part of December and I think even a little bit this month. But you can, might, might only be able to describe maybe one or two of the events mm-hmm. to some of that MJO activity. And then the Arctic Oscillation has been largely positive, and which meaning that all that cold air is bottled up in the, around the poles. And so the jet has been strong and fast at higher latitudes. And so we haven't had a lot of lollygagging of the jet stream and a lot of blocking patterns. So we've seen a, a pretty quick jet. And in the southwest, we've been largely in uh, what we call a zonal pattern, which is just a quick jet. And in that zonal pattern, you'll get the the wiggles and the waves in there, which will drop storm systems through there. So, you know, if you look at the breakdown from week to week, yeah, a, a pattern of highs and lows will originate over the Pacific Ocean, but then they'll, they'll quickly get replaced by something else. So we haven't had any really kind of long-term sustained pretty uh, blocking or anomalous circulation patterns. They've been kind of switching it up. Can I interject? Please. Because I was looking at the 500 level Mm -hmm. uh, geopotential heights. Yep. And the, you know, the, when I integrated all of those daily patterns. Yeah. It was sort of like a a ridge position for the most part over the Southwest for the last 30 days or so. Is that more or less? Uh, I mean, again, so this is the trouble with the, I use the same thing. I'll look at the, I'll look at the anomaly map for the, uh, last 30 days, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll see a you know a ridge trough pattern or something like that. The anomaly values aren't particularly high. Well, that's and because they're averaging together. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and so positive so it, and negative, and right. so it's going to come out to be yeah, and pretty so, close to zero or whatever. Um, right, and so I think that the anomaly map doesn't necessarily. It will tell you, it tells you the the additive properties of all of the wiggles and the waves but it wouldn't necessarily tell you the weather pattern of any given day, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's more of my, been my takeaway is that, and if you look at the evolution of the weather over the last 30 days, um, we've had periods of ridging and the temps have warmed up. And then we've had some quick um, storm systems pop through here mm-hmm. and drop some precipitation. I was looking at some of the stats here across the Southwest and I was looking at the longest dry spell we've had here in tucson in the last 30 days has been six days so which is that's pretty short fairly short fairly short so phoenix has seen um 23 day dry stretches in the last 30 so they've you know they kind of have had some long breaks in there tucson area has seen the longest has been six days and again this could be one one hundredth of an inch right and we've had a couple of those really light events but have we had storms that have come through that have missed phoenix because normally in the winter they're 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 yeah larger and so they can encapsulate both areas so this is a little bit of the weird pattern that especially we've seen sort of evolve in january is the pacific northwest has gotten back in the action and then it's been southern Arizona, southeast Arizona, and then uh, eastward. And then everything in between has been dry. So there's like this bullseye over northern California, which is in between the weather systems. Mm. And the systems that we've seen come down here, it doesn't look necessarily look like a split in the jet stream, but it's um, we're having these interior storms drop out of the Pacific Northwest and have this inland trajectory the inside slider, which I really like the weather service calls them. And then baseball um, fans, baseball fans. I like it. And the inland trajectory is not wet for anybody. Um, you know, there's some precip coming in from the Pacific Northwest. Anybody in between is usually not going to have anything to work with, but we're far enough South and there, there's just enough Pacific moisture just South of us that some of these storms have been able to wrap it up. And they typically have been able to wrap it up across the southeast part of the state, and they leave kind of the northern part of the state out of this action. And again, this is not a dominant pattern. This happened a couple of times. We've had a lot of other flavors of storms roll through here. And I was also looking at just even the humidity here in the Tucson area was that the, and it, I don't know if you remember this too, but it was kind of, it was coolish at the beginning of the month and it felt dry and we started to have the kind of winter dryness. And that was a, kind of the inland trajectory of some of these storms and cool dry air masses moving in here. And it was about middle of the month. We got into a pattern where that lift a little bit north and they started to drag in this moisture off the Pacific and it got humid again. 
And we were end up having, we've had heavy dew events. So that broke down some of the dry spell. Mm -hmm. We were starting to get those more frequent precip events here. And then we ended up having uh, nights where the temp would drop down to the dew point and we would end up having heavy dew. And so the dew points have been up. We've had the radiative cooling because of the short days and we're starting to get this heavy dew. And the, the reason I know this is that there's two things. There was drips off my roof, which freaked me out. And I was like, what is going on? And it was heavy. It was a heavy dew. And we also have had rain log observers report precip on days with no precipitation. So don't do that. If you're a rain logger and it hasn't rained and you get dew in your gauge, just make a note on that, but report zero <laughs> precipitation. You don't have, a, you don't have a D for we don't, entry? And I, it, we usually, we don't usually, don't, we don't need it, right? <laughs> and um, it's it's like every once in a while in the wintertime, this kind of situation will happen. So, so I th- yeah, I think that's, that's kind of interesting. It's a nice, uh, not warning, but uh, advice for those <laughs> rain loggers out there. That's <laughs> right. And anybody who's doing any precip monitoring, that's a challenge when you start to see you see liquid in your gauge. It's it's actually not precipitation on some of those some of those events. The Tucson reference that you you pulled up here that they've gone six days at most this winter uh, is in the this, last thirty days. In the last thirty yeah, days, this is just the thirty day thirty okay. rate record. Um, and like Albuquerque has gone twelve days. That's the longest stretch between precip events in the last thirty days. So that's right. what half the record. Right, right. They had right, one half the thirty days. Well, so a little, yeah, they probably had two two rainfall. Right, and you look across the southwest, and it's 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 kind of. Tucson has fared the best out of many locations, Arizona, New Mexico, as far as the frequency of precip. I guess I would think that this is a relatively normal picture. There's probably a number of years in which we get three or four rain events during the month of, of, of January. That um, being said, though, yeah. if, if you look at the, the Tucson International Airport, so since October, we're running at above average, quite a bit above average at, at the moment. So, so far at the airport... 4.2 inches has fallen. The average for the October to the end of, of, of May is only five. So we're pretty darn close to average. And that comes after an October that see that saw basic that saw zero precipitation. Yeah, it was so, right. So we started this this you know winter season, if you will, or the cool season, as you call it, Mike, behind the game, but have caught up have caught up a lot. I never expect much out of October. I just feel like it's cheating though. If you get a bunch of tropical storm rain, it's well, I mean, we've the, already talked the, about this. Yeah, the average is, yeah. is is close to three quarters of an inch. And hey, when you have uh, yeah. that, that when you have a total of five inches, yeah. you know that's you know twenty percent. I know that distribution's a mess, though. Yeah, the October enough. distribution. So I just feel like we legit got cool season precip here with October with November coming online, mm-hmm. which I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And December was okay. I think that one of my take homes right now is that the again why I bring up that Tucson metric here is that we've had. We haven't really had three week. Well, Phoenix did <laughs> three week stretches without precip. Tucson, anyways, and, and some of the other parts of states have been more around like eleven days longest dry spell. So, so based on my statistical logic, mm-hmm. you would say that we're due for a longer spell. Kids, this is your streakiness. See, I God, you're a pessimist, aren't you? <laughs> but you're like pessimist on the streaky side. So which tells me that since you're Ben's pessimist so long, you're almost ready to switch over to being an optimist. <laughs> Is that how so, that works? <laughs> I just get so beat down. It's no, like... I just think statistically, you can't you can't be a pessimist forever. <laughs> That's good. Fair enough. All right. So Enso's off the table. Arctic Oscillation has been yeah. uh, doing its thing. Positive. Positive. Values. Well, kind of kind of bottling stuff up. So, I mean, I, I have not looked at, and I don't know if, do you read Judah Cohen's blog mm. at all. I haven't. I haven't Occasionally. Looked, yeah, I haven't get it. looked at it. It's hard. It's tough. It's really good. It, that, I don't, the the I don't, Arctic Oscillation has less of an impact here in the It really it doesn't. But I think it's it gives us some sense of the broader, so broader weather, so, northern hemisphere circulation. So weather hap- when you don't have these strong climatological patterns in effect, yeah, if you will. which we don't. Which we, we really don't. don't. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's the vagaries of weather yeah, and trend. Weather happens. We'll at some point talk a little bit about the forecast, but boy, that's tough. It's well, tough. And if you even look, if you've been paying attention to 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 like I do, man, oh, man, every day they're bobbing all over the place. Well, so one thing that I did want to talk about, in particular because of the last month, which has seen, like I said before, uh, dry conditions for the for a lot of the Southwest. Yeah, um, yeah we've had in in Tucson maybe a little bit more than obviously Phoenix and other and, and other places, but it comes in as as for the for the last thirty days below average for most of uh, Arizona and and quite frankly for southern half of of California and, and uh, Colorado and in Nevada. So I've gotten recently a question that. I get, I feel like, at least a few times a month. Yeah. 
and that is, are we still in the drought? Particularly when 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 we've been in a in a in a dry yeah. dry spell. Yeah, yeah. Do you get that question? Oh, I got it last week. Are we still the the question the 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 operative word here is still right? I think yeah. it's like it's baked into the collective consciousness that we've been in a long term drought. So how do you answer this question? It depends. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's usually my <laughs> that, answer, <laughs> and. It depends on the question. And then you walk away. Yeah, I usually do. Scientists are really useful at this, aren't they? It depends. It depends. It depends. Yeah. Oh, it's such a it's such a frustrating, challenging it's not frustrating. It's a challenging question that I get frustrated with. It's a good question. I mean I think that that's should That's, I set the stage a little bit here? Because if you look at the U.S. drought monitor, mm-hmm. which there's a, a number of different ways to characterize drought. There's a number of different ways to monitor it. I'm just picking one here. The U.S. drought monitor has an interesting process, Mike, that you're involved in. Sometimes maybe we can deconstruct that. Sure. But uh, it is one that often gets thrown around uh, media stories. Yeah. So based on that, basically just the Four Corners region here in Arizona and New right. Mexico are seeing any, any drought conditions. And the rest of uh, the Southwest is is basically drought-free. Yeah. Now, of course, y- people that are asking me those kinds of questions aren't lo- probably looking at the U.S. drought monitor, and maybe that's not even that important to them. But that is the drought context. You know, we've we had a, a relatively wet year in aggregate over the last year over the much of the Southwest. So, how do you answer that question? Honestly, <laughs> I do use the word "it depends," but I usually say more things after that. So. The way that I try to address that question is to talk about it depends on who you are and what you're worried about if the drought conditions are still in place. All right. Put a pause there. We'll come back to that. Okay. Do you think we're in a drought right now? It's <laughs> a good is question. It? Me personally? Yeah. As a, as a uh, citizen of as Tucson? As a climatologist. As a climatologist. As the foremost authority on climate in Arizona. Well, so as a citizen Sorry, Nancy who lives in the <laughs> east side of Tucson, no, because we've gotten enough water in our yard that our plants aren't dead, and the water has continued to come out of the tap every year I've been here uh, in Tucson. So, so effectively, no, I am not in a drought at my house as a citizen. So that's a, that's a good point. So for most of the people that live in the Southwest, I mean, we're not tied to the climate. Yeah. Right. Like drought yeah. is sort of an academic thing to think about. And, you know, people talk about the weather. Well, I think this is a real challenge about talking about drought because we conflate it and we confuse it uh, right. with other things a lot. But okay. So our, one of our jobs and the reason why we started this podcast is because it's so hard. It's to, not to confuse people. <laughs> right. Well, I think one of the challenges is is we're supposed to look at the time dimension and the space dimension. And, you know, you and I got started on this and, and Ben uh, picked up since writing these monthly descriptions of, of the climate. And, and it became really challenging in short form to sort of narrate that spatial and temporal dimension. Yeah. Um, particularly yeah. when it comes to drought because it is is complicated. But I'll ask the question again, not from you as you – Because I didn't answer it. You're, you, you and your house. Yeah. but. If you're going out and giving a presentation, a TED Talk, oh, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> You're giving a TED Talk, and, and your question is, what's the drought situation in, in the Southwest? Do I have to wear a headset? <laughs> I think that's my first question because I refuse. I will not wear You just wear have it. to project. Oh, I just have I think to project. You can project. Okay, good project. Okay, so the way that I talk about drought is that I will talk about the timescales of drought, right? And I the reason I think that that's important is because of – the seasonality of precipitation here in the Southwest can give us situations where short-term drought conditions can emerge and when maybe longer-term conditions are good or vice versa, or you can have a convergence of both long-term drought conditions and short-term drought conditions, right? And so what? So a short-term drought condition would be something like what we saw this summer, which was the summer monsoon didn't show up on time and didn't show up in total amounts to promote the growing of forage um, that we use for livestock operations and had ecosystem impacts because of that. So that that is a situation where that rain not occurring in that three-month period is, for our, all intents and purposes, a flash drought, you know, and using that kind of the parlance of drought discussions back east right. where you don't have rain in Nebraska and it, 
in you know two weeks and it caused that. So let me just interject here. So if we if we look at the short term drought starting now and just going back three months, yep. Like basically, there's no drought in the south. That's right. There's no drought in the southwest looking at the three-month standardized precipitation index right. because November was so wet. Right. Right? So so you can even you start to play these games with our drought indices, and sometimes the drought index for a longer time period will be driven by small events in time, mm-hmm. right? You know, a particular month can end up being very wet, which can make the six-month index look very wet. So what we had last year was that it was really good precip. January, February, March, April, May especially. May ended up being very wet, and May is a dry month historically. And so then drought indices that have May in it are typically, their distributions are a little bit different. And so if it's wet in May, it has this disproportionate effect on the drought indices. And can just ex- they can explode by a little bit of precip can go a long way of saying that there's no drought hmm. because of the, the rain occurring in that particular month. So anyways, the, that point being is that Last spring was fantastic, and I think in that period, if the expectation for rain was there, it was met, and that eliminated drought conditions, we had drought show up in the summer, and then we ended up having unusually wet conditions the end of September, which are after the growing season, so that in that three-month window, you can have this mess of the drought index getting lifted up, even though the timing of the precip was important. You know, this heartens me. Does it? Yeah, and I'll tell you why, because- Disheartens me. Well, okay. no, I was thinking as you were talking just about, you know, but one of the holy grails is to come up with an objective way of uh, characterizing the drought that's objective but accurate, right? And the challenge is how do, how do you do it across these different timescales yeah. and across these different perspectives like you were talking about? Perhaps it's an agricultural perspective. Yep. Perhaps it's a fire management perspective, a water management, whatever. Yeah. And so what hardens me is I guess I was hearing because you have to take into the nu- that nuance of of the month that maybe these objective measures, maybe we do need some subjective eye- eyeballs on this. Yeah. That any machine learning, many automated ways of coming up with these indices, really they need some human contextualization. Drought is a phenomenon that's really contextual, right? I mean, it mat- it's subjective in the sense of who you are and where you are and what you worry about. It, well, so, what, you know, what's the definition of drought? It's simplest is you don't have enough water to do thing, the thing that you want to do. And so what we try to do is we try to say drought, no drought as these large spatial areas and at kind of vague timescales. And honestly, what can happen in the Southwest, and can happen in other places too, but our seasonality, I think, challenges us in particular, is that you can have the answer can be yes and no at the same time, right. depending on the time scale and depending on what you're worried about. Again, going back to that question, and I think that this idea of drought being something that we experience, that we've been experiencing, that we haven't got out of, sort of overlooks the fact that we're kind of always in a in a drought situation. Well, okay, so or we're, the, we're always in a dry situation. Well, <laughs> but but, but, but yeah, let me let me yeah. let me add another fine point to okay. that because Please. when I look when I look at the data. And I go back, and I go back 12 months, SPI, uh, standard precipitation index, 12 months. It's still above average rainfall. And I know we're not talking about temperature, and temperature plays a role in this too, but just for this conversation, because uh, I think this illustrates the point. 12 months for most of Arizona above, above average. 18 months, same thing. 24 months, we're, we're average or above, except for a little sliver in the, in the four corners. You know, all the way out to, you have to go out to past 70, 72 months, five years for there to be, over that period, for there to be near or below average conditions over much of the yeah. Southwest, yeah. And, or Arizona at least. And so my feeling is, is this idea of, are we in a drought is, I guess my answer to that would be, I get your your point, but I'm not sure we are. That's great. That's so good. I think we should go on the road <laughs> and do this sort of point counterpoint. Because so I I would counter that. Mm-hmm. So I love the standardized precipitation index dearly because I think it's a super useful tool. So I think that one of the challenges <laughs> is with it is that I can remember in your windows as they grew some absolutely epically dry periods and intense week long rain events that are contributing to that total. So like so like when you start to do the 36 month 
standardized precipitation index, that 36-month window, and you start to see the whole thing lift up, that's fantastic. I think you're right. That's a really good sign. But what it always makes me do is dig into it a little bit more and say, oh, yeah, you know why? Is because a record wet May and then a record wet October are contaminating that 36-month total. And so in the breakdown of that, what does a 36-month SPI mean? Is it, and again, we use these longer windows as reflecting the slower varying elements of climate and the impacts on it, which would be hydrology, which would be probably trees and things that take a long time to grow in either or move in any direction. And then did those precip events actually ameliorate any impact to hydrology and to trees? If they were very epic wet conditions in those couple of months that lifted the whole index, then probably not. And what you'd really need to see in a five-month, or I'm sorry, in a 36-month window, was if the precipitation was even and above average over that 36 months, and that SPI index was positive, then I would say absolutely. If it's wet and dry conditions, and there's extreme dry conditions in between them, I'm not sure that's the same quality of drought amelioration that you'd want. I think this gets at uh, the heart of a... Of, of, of climatology, it's like there's yeah. a number of different pathways to the same end. You know, for example, for agriculture, right? Like if you get rain in one month, that doesn't align, if, if you're rain fed, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't align with the phenology of, of the crop that you're growing. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's timing and quality of the precip. The, you know, I was at this meeting last week. Talk about effective precipitation. And it's, it's kind of a vague term. It's an old term. It's a really useful term because it's about the kind of the quality of the precipitation occurring over time. We've had dry streak of six days in the last 30 in Tucson. That's great. You know, if that same total, if it was one day, is different than if it's over three days, right? And so I feel like we've tried to do this over the years of looking at these different metrics. And so the SPI, and I use it a lot, standardized precipitation index, you have to kind of use it as a first look, and then you got to dig. I think a little bit too. And I, I want to build on your point about it earlier too, which is really interesting when we just look at precip and we look at those totals over those increasing time lengths and we start to see that they've been accumulating in their wet. Well, there's another index called the standardized precipitation minus evapotranspiration index, which at longer time scales is always negative because it's warmer now. Right. Right. And so this, this it, like it folds I, in the temperature. It component. folds in the temperature yeah. component. And so it's the creeping crud of it being warmer now munching at our water balance all the time. And it's, to me, I'm not, I think it's a great first look index. I want to dig, and I have some research working on this, but uh, you know, that permanent drought condition is our kind of our broader discussion about, is this, is that the new normal? Is that aridity? Different, we need a different term for it. Well, the temperature part of this, I think it's really important because I think what's embedded in the questions about, are we still in a drought? There's There's a hint of, is this an anthropogenic signal or yeah. it is, you know, what's the role of global climate change in on this? And, yeah. I, and I think that, you know, when we think about going forward, the talk is, well, variability happens. Like we, you can go back and look in the in, in these long-term tree ring records, uh, reconstructions of precipitation or stream flow and see uh, pretty protracted and extreme droughts, much greater than what we've experienced in, in the instrumental record. So they're there. Yeah. And then the question is, well, what if you lump on a few degrees warmer and how does that impact, you know, evaporation, transpiration and, and you know, and the, and, and the effect of that is it, it dries out the landscape. So under dry, naturally dry conditions, a, a blanket of, 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 of warmer conditions that's going to make the landscape Drier, and of course, people then will quibble about well, how much warmer? What's the what's the pattern? All the those kinds of questions so, come into play, right? And this is where the drought, the SPEI index, the one with evapotranspiration in it, at longer time scales, if it's warmer than average, and it's a non-stationary issue, if it's long, if it's warmer at the end of the record than it was at the beginning, that drought index will never go normal or positive again. Right, because mm. it's it's all it's all trend, right? right. So so you actually so whenever so as you go further back, you're obviously gonna you're going to see a positive, yeah, or or, or a, it's gonna look like a dry signal if you yeah know. yeah because it's it's just a calculation of the water balance, and so if it's trend and it's using this whole period of record, that's a hundred years long. It's cooler at the beginning, it's warmer at the end. So the drought index at longer time scales doesn't have any variability in it anymore. So, so it's you, a permanent, it's kind of a, it's showing a permanent. So you're cautioning against well, using that for longer time. I, I just, I've been struggling with it because I'm like trying to make sense of it. 
So then it shows the sort of permanent drought condition at longer time scales on the SPEI because of those because of those, the temperature because of the temperature and so then it there's not as much information in it anymore but is it real i mean that, well that's that's the thing is i think it's i mean we see evidence of that creeping up in tree rings and global change type drought studies like uh, Dave Brashear stuff. And then we're seeing that come up in some of the hydrological modeling literature. With well, what, about, what also impact. about the impacts like like uh, forest die-off and bark beetle? See, and, and that, that's that. That's kind of in that literature. The, I think the index oversimplifies the portrayal of it. And then the work now is the nuances of sort of understanding the shift towards the shift of the water balance on the impacts on the ground. And if you get to the shorter time, the, the shorter time scales with SPI and SPEI, um, you do start to see some shifting, right? You know, the seasonal, like last spring, it was wetter and cooler than we'd seen in a long time. And the SPEI actually responded and said, okay, yeah, we're backing way off on drought conditions because it's that water balance shift is towards the positive. So that's that's right. a good sign. But at the longer time scales where you're where you're starting to get at, it's just picking up on trend. That drought index won't have much room to wiggle anymore because it's trend. All right. I know you've got a hard stop uh, 15 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. I got to go. <laughs> right. But um, very briefly, we didn't talk about snowpack. Snowpack across the West, aside from a few places, aside from actually the Sierras in California, are in, in decent shape. Uh, in terms of they're close to average or, or, or above average. The Pacific Northwest fell behind in December, but it's, it's, it's catching up with a series of low-pressure systems dropping a bunch of snow up, up there, yeah. uh, in, including in the next couple of days. Any indication uh, for the next for the next half of the uh, of, of the winter? Yeah. So the short-term forecast, six to ten, eight to fourteen, have continued to have that bullseye on Northern California as far as dry conditions. And the recent pattern that we talked about a little bit with the the jet seems to be plowing into the Pacific Northwest and where you're going skiing. I think you nailed that. Good for you. And there Ooh. are, I know, I'm, I'm pretty psyched for you too. And having these inside slider storm systems, which seem to show up on the long term right now, puts eastern Arizona and New Mexico with a subtle chance here. But it seems to leave California kind of out of play. And then the three, the week three to four forecast leaves much of the Southwest dry. The models are still suggesting that's busier than that right now. And then the seasonal outlook still puts all of the Southwest, California, Arizona, New Mexico, in drier than average conditions. Yeah. But it's not a particularly, you read the read the forecast discussion and they don't, they don't, they don't seem all that confident in it. And there's, not you, much to, there's not much to hold on to. What about the like... It's multi-model ensemble. Yeah, I always forget what that acronym right, stands National for. Multi-model ensemble. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's basically what the forecast has been showing on the short term. It's what the week three four forecast looks like, and it also boy, it's it just it's calling for it just hammers dry, California. Yeah, dry yeah. conditions basically across the uh, western coast. And it's really interesting because it's it's the the anomalies or the below average precip bullseye is on Northern California, and it retreats right at the border. So Arizona and New Mexico are kind of left in between. And it's a weird pattern. I mean, but it's not. But if that a, happens, yeah, if a pattern like that happens. In other words, if storms missed Northern California, Northern yeah, how do California, we get? How do we get? Rain? <laughs> no, it's not easy. Like it actually has to come in it's, from it, well, underneath. Right? It's got to be. But yeah. then there's nothing tracking down. It would seem. Well, like. it, it, you could end up having the the pattern that we're seeing, which is the storms crash in the Pacific Northwest and they carve down through the interior west and they pick up subtropical moisture for Arizona and New Mexico. It's not ideal. You that, know, that, might, that might relieve the Four Corners if, if, if that was- It's not, but not, the Four Corners I think are too far north because I think that what you end up getting is you get a subtropical tap that carves out the southern part of Arizona and maybe picks up New Mexico, but it leaves the Four Corners out of play and it definitely leaves like the northwest part of the state and then it's the closer you get to California, it leaves you out of play too. What, so, about, what about Colorado, the upper basin? Um, I think it's just, a, it's a mixed bag of- Precip coming up out of the Gulf from the front up the front range. What would you want to see happen is you'd want to have those storms crash perpendicular into the California coast yeah, and then pick up rivers, yeah. pineapple expresses. Yep, yep. and this doesn't Same look thing. like that. This doesn't this doesn't look like that. Wait, it always but it could be wrong. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, they're usually wrong, right? <laughs> they kind of, this this <laughs> forecast has been sticky because it's sticky in the sense that it keeps sticking around. Well, like we saw this same this. pattern last last month. We saw it last month, but it's it's really interesting to look at the the CPC forecasts in real time, and they look just like the NMME, which maybe is because they're relying on the NMME. It's just a weird um, a weird pattern. It doesn't. I mean, it, I'm just being probably overly optimistic that it leaves the Southwest with much to work with. But, you know, we've squeaked out some small precip events from it this pattern. It does not or it does leave the it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a wet pattern for us okay. by any means. It doesn't look like zero precip with record high temps. It does not look like that. It actually looks like maybe cooler than average to average temps with a shot at some passing storms occasionally. Wow, I like that. I like that. It's not a very bullish forecast, but it's it. Yeah, I mean, there was more information in that than some of the forecast discussions that I get online. I think that's right, and I think it's maintaining. If we can hold temps average, we hold on to snowpack a little bit longer. I'm going to try. I want your bold prediction to fail miserably about the fire season coming online. I I don't want that to happen. Um, I still, I think we're going to have enough of a mess with low elevation fires the next couple of years, just on its own, just out of because of it normally drying out in spring and we have so much low elevation fine fuel. So I think that that's, that's going to be kind of the story. All right. All right. Well, uh, okay. That was, that was fun, Mike. So I appreciate that. Uh, cool. We'll come back in uh, February. All right. Cheers. Well, it's been a pleasure and I'm super excited. Wait, about- are you quitting? <laughs> It's happening. I was going to announce my retirement, but then I realized you guys weren't going to give me any gifts. That's uh, true. So I'm going to I'm going to stick on for 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 2020 gifts. Sorry, Mike. I uh, I'm no. late for whatever you have to do. Oh, one more thing I forgot to uh, to mention, and it's a favor to ask of all of you listeners. And if you've stuck around this long, it's probably not the first time. And even if it is the first time, if you like what you heard. Give us a shout out to your friends or like us on uh, whatever the app is that you 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 download this podcast from because um, as I said in the beginning, we are the only and longest right. standing podcast on Southwest climate. And tell an enemy if you don't like them. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll take both of them. We'll take them both. D- double we'll, our, our a viewership. Listener, a listener is a listener, right? <laughs> we don't discriminate here. <laughs> Thank you. It's exactly, it's funny because I was telling Zach, I think you were, 